The following is presented by Lanier Technical College, Concept One Pulley Systems, and Year One Classic Muscle Car Restoration Parts. Hit it! Hang on, you're now part of the fastest podcast on the planet, Bud's Garage Overdrive. Produced in the studios of Jacobs Media, located in beautiful downtown Gainesville, Georgia. On today's show, the 2025 Mustang GTD, roadside survival tips, electric combines, hydrogen-powered hot rods, and special guest Sean Mathis, founder of Miles Through Time Museum. All that and a whole bunch more informative automotive buffoonery with Bud and Tim. Let's kick it in overdrive. Welcome in, folks. This is Bud Hughes, resident car nut, and Tim DePasquale, a poster to the stars. Tim, how you doing today, man? I'm good, Bud. I'm good. Let's talk about Labor Day for a minute. Right. A well, brief history. Brief history of Labor Day. It's a, you, you first. Know, Go ahead. Federal holiday in the United States celebrated on the first Monday in September to honor and recognize the American labor movement and the contributions of laborers to the achievements of the United States. That's awesome. Uh, it is. And beginning in the 19th century, as the trade union and labor movements grew, uh, trade unionists uh, proposed a day that would, you know, celebrate labor. Mm-hmm. You know, the blue-collar guys. Yeah, right. And, and they fought uh, that, didn't they? Oh, yeah. <laughs> in 1887, Oregon was the first state of the United States to make it an official holiday. By the time it became official, of an official federal holiday in 1894 30 states in the u.s officially celebrated labor day oh well but they only uh when when they passed the federal law they only made it a holiday for federal workers yeah grover cleveland when he signed the the the, uh the thing into a federal law and that didn't set well with the unions so they started encouraging workers to Go on strike. Yeah. You know, the 30s were a tumultuous time in America for the labor movement. Well, now we have Labor Day. Yes, we do. And it's a good time to honor, you know, the, like I say, the laborers, the, um, the folks that come and fix your air conditioning, your mm-hmm. plumbing, your car, right. and build your houses. Exactly. And, and things like that. Uh, In 1909, the American Federation of Labor Convention designated the Sunday preceding Labor Day as a Labor Sunday. Uh, That didn't catch any traction, and uh, some some churches still acknowledge it, though. So, interesting stuff. Here's the goofy, the goofy custom that went on back then. To start a business or better yourself, you took out a loan, you worked hard, and you paid it back. Wow. What a concept. <laughs> Who would have thought that would ever work? Well, thank you, Mr. Historian. That was very good. God That's bless all you working for. All right. That's absolutely right. Okay, bud. Now that we've talked about Labor Day, what was that car that you sent me a picture of the other day? That, my friend, is a Thunder Roadster. Really? You know what a Thunder Roadster is? No, I don't. Thunder Roadster is an extension, literally, of a Legends car. Remember when they came out with the Legends cars? Oh, yeah, I love ago? those. Yeah, yeah. They, you know, they look like an old 34 Ford mm-hmm. or, or different bodies. And it's a series that was uh, started by Humpy Wheeler. And uh, anyway, long story short, and they expanded it to another series of cars that were called Thunder Roadsters, and they lengthened the wheelbase okay. and put kind of a IndyCar-looking body on it mm-hmm. with a sprint car, sprint car cage, if you would. Yeah. So the Legends cars, when you open the door, the cage opened with them, right? This car is made out of a little heavier material, Mm -hmm. still uses a motorcycle engine, sequential transmission and all that. 
what's going on there is our buddy Bill Nealis loaned it to us so my grandson can get his SCCA license. Oh, okay. Because so, he, won, he won a karting championship, but he doesn't have a race car, and he wants to get into a a car series. And mm-hmm. he, he took uh, the Allenberg uh, Racing School in the Formula Renault, but he doesn't have a Formula Renault, and now he's got three races in a year to get a, his license. So we're going to use this Thunder Roadster because they run them in SCCA and NASA. Wow. So it's a 1,500-pound so car. So what, what yeah. size is that motorcycle engine? I, you know, I honestly don't know. It's a four-cylinder um, water-cooled Yamaha. So, um, you know, I'm guessing it's a 125, 130-mile-an-hour car at Road Atlanta. So okay. It'll be good for, you know, getting his license. Mm-hmm. He's going nearly that fast in shifter carts, so that's a different, different deal. So that's what that's all about. Okay. We'll keep you updated on that, all right? Here's some big news from Ford, though. They're throwing down the gauntlet. Bill, what does that mean? Do you know what throwing down the gauntlet means? Isn't the gauntlet that metal glove that they used to have the mace on at the end of the thing? So when you challenge the guy in the days of the round table, you'd throw your, oh, okay. your thing oh, yes. down? Because uh-huh. if you challenge slap them you. across the face with that, you could do oh, serious yeah. damage. Oh, yeah. Oh, I thought right. it was a, yeah, All right. That's what it was, huh? Hmm. think so. Anyway. Oh, I thought you were going to tell me. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> Ford has got a new Mustang that was teased all over the internet as an as a mid-engine car to rival the Corvette. My first thought was, okay, where are they going to put the cylinder heads? Uh-huh, you know right. how big the cylinder heads on a Coyote engine are. Sure. And are they going to maybe install a supercharged Godzilla pushrod engine? Mm-hmm. Hmm. So let's back up to the this past year's 24 Hours Le Mans. Hendrick Motorsports Garage 56 entry was a supercharged. 6.2 ZL1 pushrod engine Camaro, front engine, rear wheel drive, finished 39th overall. Okay. I think what's going on here is the GT, the Mustang GTD, is the GT3 race car on steroids. The GT3 race car is what's going to race against the Camaro next year at Le Mans, not this supercar. Okay. This supercar is a street legal race car, but it's it wouldn't be legal in racing because of some of the things that the suspension does Oh, presently. I see. Well, wasn't it a number of years ago where um, Ford produced a racing Mustang that individuals could buy, and then they had their own series? That, that's, that's coming out next year. Okay. Yeah. It seems, you know, we talked about it six months ago, I guess, or something mm-hmm. like that. But this is, this is a step above this. This is billed as a supercar. Oh. And it should be. Uh, it's got Active Aero, which isn't legal in racing. Uh, it's got a trans... What's cool about it is got... Remember the old Trans Am cars where they flared the fenders? Oh, yeah. You could, you could make a... There used to be a guy that raced at Road Atlanta with an X11 Citation that had flared fenders. Mm-hmm. Now, it was still an X11 Citation, four-cylinder car, but it looked cool. But it was it flared fenders. X11 Citation. I haven't seen one in years. Well, there's still one roaming around Road Atlanta at SCCA really? events. Yeah. But anyway... Uh, it's got inboard suspension. You know, it's using the uh, your pushrod type suspension like they use on a lot of race cars. Um, carbon brakes, active aero, transaxle, 5.2 supercharged dry sump engine, 800 horsepower, and the starting price is only three hundred thousand dollars. Starting wow. price. Three hundred thousand. Well, that was a supercar. Yeah, we could get a couple of those. Yeah. I wonder how much the payment is with the late fee. <laughs> I knew you were going to ask. So. <laughs> uh, uh, well, I, I think it's cool. It's, it's obviously going to be a collector car. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it'll be on Barrett Jackson for two or three times that amount, right? Million dollar. Probably the first one. Mm-hmm. You know? But it's it's wicked cool. I'm not in the $300,000 zip code. Yeah. Uh, that would that would be more than my house by mm-hmm. a long shot. And uh, so... Well, you know, I, I was... Uh, but I guess uh, we could each pitch in a oh, yeah, hundred grand. Bill, you, you, you in on this? Yeah. No, I'll go with my escape. Yeah. yeah okay. Oh, you are. All right. Is that your escape? It's for now. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Our next guest is an author, a friend of Bud's Garage, uh, a military hero, and a hometown hero. He is the author of Roadside Survival, Low-Tech Solutions to Automobile Breakdowns. His name is Walt Brinker, and uh, we'd like to welcome back him. Welcome him back into Bud's Garage. Great to be here, Bud. Thanks for having me. I, I was having a moment there. Uh, the title of the book, please. <laughs> roadside Survival, Low-Tech Solutions to Automobile Breakdowns. There we go. What came first, Roadside Assist, 2000 of them, or the book? Uh, the 2000 came first, and then I realized that I needed a book to get the word out to all folks who should have it, and I, I did a book. And I also did a, we- a website called oh, cool. Roadside Survival. Well, what's the biggest lesson you've learned from doing Roadside Assist? But uh, 75% of my assists are for tires. Therefore, the biggest lesson has to do with that. It, it is to be prepared to change a tire. And uh, that involves several things, which I'd like to real quickly uh, discuss here. Sure. Have the tools and practice the tire change ahead of time. This way you can know what you don't know or have in order to, uh, to succeed. Uh, first thing is too tight lug nuts. 90% of the time the lug nuts are on too tight. So I advocate having a, what I call a cheater bar, which is a one-inch in diameter, 24-inch long or 30-inch long pipe that you can slip over the end of the lug run channel and give you enough leverage to take those nuts off with. Uh, also, air in the spare. I found that 80% of spare tires are, are flat or too low to work. Uh, know the lift points for the jack that you use on your car. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And have, have locking lug, lug nuts uh, they require a key. Uh, keep it handy. It'll be a little device that fits over the lug, the key, uh, the, the lock nut on your on your car on your wheel. Have that thing handy so you can always find it. Uh, no rounded lug nuts. Many times people show up with uh, lug nuts that have rounded corners on them. They're not any good. Replace them. Um, have the tires rotated and balanced about every 5,000 miles. Sometimes every 6,000 miles they call for it. But this extends the life of the tires. Also, uh, you can identify problems ahead of time like nails in the tire that the guy will find when he inspects. So so what Uh, I'm thinking here, Walt, is, you know, even with all the modern technologies we've got, you know, concerning our tires, these problems are your most frequent assist. What what, mm -hmm. what are people thinking? How, you know, how can you have tire sensors and all that stuff? People just, uh, just forget about their tires once they're on the car? They just don't maintain the tires. I guess that's what it is. I, I can't explain it. It's, it's, it's confounding. Uh, so I would develop, try and develop a habit to check the PSI in your tires on the ground as well as your spare. Just develop that habit, and that will put you way, way ahead. Well, that's for sure. All right. Okay, well, what is the second most frequent cause of assists? Well, we've got a tie here. We've got electrical, which involves a loose battery clamp. Uh, if you can't tighten it, insert a piece of paper clip between the clamp and the post and running out of gas. And there I, I advocate having a, a, a 
empty gas can in your car that you can get filled up yourself or have somebody else go get gas for you and bring it back. And then if you put the gas in the tank and it won't start, I call it rock the car. That's, that, that's you open the passenger door and stand on the on the side of the car on the frame and jump up and down and the whole car will rock and the gas will slosh in the tank and find the intake. Incredible! I've done that thirty times. Wow! I hadn't hadn't thought about I that because never if you had. if you run 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 one completely dry, especially with an electric fuel pump and that, you can cause real major problems to your car. But well, you you know, rocking that car and getting it up around the pickup mm-hmm. uh, because some of the some of the fuel pumps actually have a little. Uh, like a coffer dam around them and you got to get some of the fuel in that little coffer dam because running them dry is what burns up the pumps okay that's that's, that's very right. interesting all right how do how do people react when you when you come to help them well it's a big help to me uh, that i have purple heart license plates on the back of the car okay and so more than uh, more than i say five or ten times mostly women have told me they would never even have spoken to me or much less accepted any help but they saw the Purple Heart license plate, and that was my key right there. Uh, initially, there's some anxiety, but uh, it's, it's overcome normally by just approaching the person with a friendly demeanor and, and talking to them. Well, you're, you're a highly decorated uh, military veteran uh, from Vietnam, the Vietnam era, and uh, you know that Purple Heart thing is, is more than just a plate. You know, the fact that you do this uh, and you, you volunteer to go out this and, and do this every day is just... Uh, What's the reason behind it? Why, why, do you, why did you decide to just leave the house and go help people that are alongside the road? I, don't, I can't really explain it except that I did it once back when I was at Commander General Staff College at Fort Leavenworth back in 1980. And the reaction I got from the, from the woman that I helped uh, made me think, wow, I've got to do more of this. That, she felt great, and I felt great because she felt great. And I just kept on building on that, and, and here I am. Huh. That's, uh, it's, it's a cool story for sure. What was your? What has been your most interesting assist, Walt? Most interesting assist. Uh, there, there really are, are so many of them, but I would like to focus on one of them that happened about five years ago. <clears throat> it was a a, a black, there happened to be a black couple in the Lincoln Continental on I ninety five. He had a uh, flat right rear tire. Uh, the guy was a very large minister. He was from South Carolina, uh, with several mobility problems, and his wife was very slender. Now, they're going to Baltimore to, for something. I don't know what it was. But I removed the flat tire, and I tried to mount the spare, but I couldn't because the, uh, the holes in the spare tire didn't jive with the holes in, on the car. Uh-oh. And so he, the guy told me he got the, got the spare in a junkyard. Well, that's the wrong way to get a spare if you uh-huh. don't have the right spare. Yeah. So he and his wife, uh, with the flat in my car, we drove. First, we went to a couple of local stores, and they were closed. So we called Pep Boys back in Fayetteville. And uh, they said, well, you probably can't make it because we're going to close soon. We have other business coming in. But we took a gamble, drove to Pep Boys in Fayetteville, which is about a half an hour drive from where we were. And uh, they took us as as their last customer before the 9 o'clock closing. Well, we got got back out to the minister's car. It was well after dark, mosquitoes every place, biting like crazy. We mounted the rim on his on his with a new tire on his on his car, and they decided not to proceed uh, to Baltimore to where they were going because of they had had no spare tire, and they were going to go home. And he told me that he would tell his congregation about what had happened. Oh, cool! And that made the whole thing worthwhile. It was, that was just huge. Okay. So that's, that's probably the best example I can give you right there. Well, that, that's, that's a great story. How can folks get a copy of your book and learn more of these tips? Because we're coming up on a big holiday weekend, and they need to know about uh, things they can do to help themselves along the road. 
So Tim, with all of the wildfires and stuff we've seen in uh, in Hawaii and and things around the country, really disasters we've seen in the the past few months. Right. Who are the folks that you see at the scene helping these people out, and where do they get their training? Right. You see firefighters there. Mm-hmm. You see EMTs there. You see management personnel that can coordinate, you know, the stuff that's coming in to help the people get it to the right places, things like that. You know where people can learn those things? Tell me. Lanier Technical College. They wow. have fire science technology. Now, obviously, fire science technology deals with firefighting. You can get a basic fire company officer certificate, a firefighter, firefighter one certificate or a firefighter two certificate. And then you can get into emergency uh, management technology and that's the people that figure out you know how supplies get doled out to people and uh, you know coordinate that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and the emts that help rescue people and take care of the medical side of uh, you know a situation like that right and these people whether you're from georgia or anywhere in the country you can get this training at lanier technical college here in georgia at the main campus, and some of it's even available online, some of the certificate stuff that you uh, have to complete and get through. And, uh, you know, you can be out there helping people uh, that are in very very dire straits. So check them out at LanierTech.edu. Go to the public service portion of the programs offered. And uh, they've got that and so many other programs. So what's cool about the programs at Lanier Technical College is you can put them in your back pocket. Mm-hmm. You can move to another state. You can move to another country. Right. And still use the skills that you learn at this, at this technical college. Uh, just a great place to get started in life and, and get a career going for you. LanierTech.edu. Check them out. Well, Tim, our guest this week is a lot of fun because uh, he's got such a cool job. He, uh, he's a car enthusiast. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And he started a museum. Mm-hmm. Automotive Museum. Okay, we've all been to automotive museums. Oh, absolutely. His is quite a bit different, and we'll explain why as we get into this. And uh, he would be Sean Mathis from Miles Through Time Museum in Clarksville, Georgia. A very eclectic museum. Uh, great story. Sean, welcome into Bud's Garage Overdrive. Hey, hey, Sean. Hey, thanks for having me. We've had you on the radio show before, and it was always snippets. You know, we, didn't, we had eight, nine minutes to... You know, get something done. We've, we've learned a little bit about you over the years. We know that you started out with your granddaddy's car, mm-hmm. pink Cadillac. That's right. Did you start out as a car guy? How did, how, when you were a kid, were you around cars? Were you Always been a car guy. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, I mean, always. In fact, the reason I have the Cadillac is it was literally the third time's the charm. So my dad had bought an old CJ Jeep. That was supposed to be my first vehicle. It looked like a, a white male truck yeah uh, just a boring vehicle we jacked it up big bright blue paint job on it license plate actually said cj for sean that license plate is hung up in the museum now because i never got so the cheap. cool, so <laughs> cool. Uh, it was actually sold off uh, before i ever actually got a chance to drive it really uh, and then i got a 56 f100 pickup truck that we worked on i actually just found pictures of it yesterday and, and shared them on my social media to remind me that that is a truck i still want in the future but I didn't get that one either. Um, and, and then, uh, you know, my, my grandpa passed away, and for 10 years I tried to get that car from my grandma, but it, it took her passing away. And then my dad 
uh, he called me and he's like, you still want that car? And I said, absolutely. And uh, he, he's the one that gave it to me. Um, so it's the, it's the third one that my dad has, you know, given me, but it's, so, it's the first one I actually got. And what year model Cadillac is that? 59. Wow. Now, did your grandma drive it after? My grandma never drove. Really? Ever. She was always a, a passenger. She, she never got her license. She so was the car just four sat. Foot ten. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it had sat in my grandpa's shop under the cover my entire life. I had never seen it outside. I mean, wow. that, and that's in, like while my grandpa was alive, everything. I remember going to his house and getting on his riding lawnmower because for me, that was super fancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't even have a lawn where I grew up, but going to my grandparents' house, he had a riding lawnmower. And, and I would get on that just to feel what a steering wheel felt like in my hands. You know, it was, I mean, that, that, that was awesome. And then I would see the car in his shop. But, you know, I actually, for the 10 years I tried to get that car, the last time um, I went to my, my grandparents' house to see it, um, I had my son at the time. He was a baby. I actually folded the cover back and took photos of the car in there with him, thinking that was actually going to be the last time I was ever going to see that car. Because I, I tried to buy it, and the last thing my grandma said to me was that she wanted to keep it in the family. So she was not there anymore. I mean, she didn't. Mm-hmm. I, I am her grandson. So <laughs> yeah, me getting the car would literally be what would keep it in the family, especially since nobody else cared. Even my dad, uh, to him, it was just a family car that he remembers riding in the back of. It's not really cool. And, and to be fair, that car could have been anything, and I'd feel the same way. I got lucky. It's right. a 59 Cadillac. Right. And that, that is the reason that led to everything that I have now is because I felt so grateful to, to have that car that you know, I wanted to share it with people. And now I've got Miles Through Time Automotive Museum to be able to share not only my grandpa's car, but give an outlet for other people to do the same thing for theirs. Before you could get that car, though, what was your car life like? Uh, I, you know, my very first car was an 84 BMW 325e. That was the oh, car yeah. I got to drive. And uh, was, that, was that a family car or something you found? Well, what's funny is uh, it was my dad's car that he made my mom buy from him so that he could then get another car. <laughs> Complicated story there. But it, it, it was a car that, that he had drove already. Then I got it, which, which is funny because at the time I was looking for all these other cars, and it's like, oh, well, you know, it's too much, too much, too much. And then my mom goes and pays my dad double for his his car so that he, I think he got a, uh, he was like a 76 uh, Porsche Targa after that. Uh, so you were around some cool cars. I, I got to drive that car too, right, before he sold it once. Um, but my BMW, I wound up, I lowered that car and put different rims on it and did a bunch of stuff to it. I mean, I literally, I got... My license at 16, got a job at 16, and started spending money on my car at 16. <laughs> True car guy. Yeah. I mean, the amount of money that I blew on stuff I don't have anymore it makes me absolutely sick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, only, the only other fear that we have is that when, when either of us die, our wife's going to sell all our stuff for what we told her. <laughs> what we told her. We paid for it. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's the... That's uh. a, that's pretty much true so you're you're not you're, you know you're 16 and you're not looking for a camaro or a chevelle super sport or something like that, that wasn't in your that that's, wasn't in your wheel that stuff was expensive man I, yeah I, I was i was looking what a lot of 16 year old kids were looking for in those days i mean it was honda civic you know mm-hmm. japanese cars yeah. um, i really wasn't looking for a, a bmw that you know, was the same age as me at the time. You know, it, it just, 
it just kind of <laughs> fell in my lap. They kind of find you. Yeah. Yeah. So fast forward to today, you're, you're, you know, you've started, you've started a family by the time you get to Cadillac. Oh yeah. And, you know, take us from that point on and tell us a little bit more about the Cadillac, whether you had to do anything to it other than, you know, sat for 10 years, you probably had to do a few things, but car was always covered. Did you have to do anything to paint or anything like that? No. Uh, in fact, the only thing I did visually that you can tell on the car is put the white wall tires on it. Okay. Uh, when I got the car, it had thin white wall tires on it. Who knows how old they were? They, they had definitely been sitting on the oh, car yeah, for a yeah. while. Um, and so I got uh, Diamondback tires out of South Carolina and got the extra wide white walls on mm-hmm. it. I actually have a picture of my grandpa in 1963 standing with the car, and it had wide whites on it. So it kind of not only does it look better, in my opinion, but it also is, is what used to be on the car as proof of a picture of my grandpa with the car. Oh, yeah. So that I thought that was important. Um, other than that, I just I cleaned the car. Uh, mechanically, I, I had to redo the radiator. It overheated on me once in a, a veteran's parade. Um, installed a secondary electric fan. Upgraded the brake booster out of a, I think it's got a 73 uh, Cadillac's brake booster in it. Safety type stuff that if I'm right. driving around, and especially with my kids, uh, I don't die. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I got seat belts in it uh, that don't do much other than, again, when I got it, my kids were really little and liked to play in it, and I don't need them flying out of a window because it's right. just a big, giant bench sitting in there. Um, and then I've, I installed a Kenwood Bluetooth amplifier in it, which is hidden underneath the seat. So That's cool, yeah. The dash is completely original, but I can actually play music off my phone, and, and, it, and it sounds good in the car. And that, that is literally it. Now I'm going to ask you a loaded question. And from while well, we're both going to, from two old guys here, you're talking about the wide white walls that were on the car. Mm-hmm. Now, you may not know this, but when your grandpa had the wide white walls, were they the real thing or were they porta walls? I can't tell in the picture. Okay. My guess would be they would have been the real thing. Do you know what porta walls were? I do. And I actually, oh, okay. I, cool. I, I looked at getting those uh, because it would have been cheaper. Oh, yeah. Um, Everything I read was like they they discolor and then they might right. pop and then th- th- they wouldn't have the right look. And once I found out about Diamondback tires, I was like, the, yeah, that, you did the right thing. You did the right thing. Yeah. yeah. Right. I just wondered whether you know. Yeah. If we could if we could stump them. Uh-huh. To be fair. Yes. I didn't know what they were until I was researching all this. Okay. I, I don't go and just do things like I I, I want to educate myself before I go do certain things. So I tried like like when I got the car. I mean I. I almost forgot what year it was when my dad first was like, do you want it? I mean, I, I kind of had an idea. I knew it was a Cadillac, but I, I couldn't remember 59 and the fins and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and, then, and then that's again where I was like, man, it's a 59? Like, this is awesome. I'm getting it. I actually worked for Pepsi at the time uh, as a service tech. And I remember the car got delivered on an open car hauler sitting in the, the middle on the top. And the truck couldn't go into my neighborhood. And so I had to go to a food line across the street. While I was at work, and I drove my service truck over there with this truck, you know, getting delivered at a grocery store, and a <laughs> guy drives by before the car is even off the car hauler and trying to buy it from me. And then, of course, the car wouldn't start because it had just driven across the country. Eventually, it did start and, and drove it off. And then I, I was able to, was, that was the first time I got into the car and drove it from the parking lot down the street just a little bit and, and into my garage. Uh, actually, I don't know if I even got into the garage because it was so big, but I just left it there, and then I went back to work until I could get home. Uh, and then that night, I actually could not sleep, and I literally stayed up all night long detailing the car. I was finishing the wheels when my, my wife got up in the morning. Wow. And how old were you at this point in time? 
Uh, this was nine years ago, so uh, I was 30. Oh, okay. So you get the car, and we're going to stop for a moment here just to describe the car to people. Just, just describe the fins and the taillights, because I've seen a ton of pictures of them on your, on your Facebook post. Just try to put people... Let people know what they're, you're talking about with a 59 Cadillac. It, it is the quintessential 50s fin. It is what most people think of when you think of the, the big finned cars from that era. That, it actually holds the record for the highest production fin. It's got the two bullet taillights on it. It's like the Buck Rogers look. It, I mean, it's yeah. Spaceship look. It, yeah. it is. It is the, the, it is the spaceship design of that era. And it was so radical that it was either hated or absolutely loved when it was brand new. But it was also so radical that it only lasted a year. You know, by 1960, they had toned it down. They got rid of the bullet taillights. So, I mean, literally, th- this is the only year they exist. Right. 1959. So was that a uh, Sedan Deville or a Coupe Deville? Coupe Deville. Coupe Deville. Yep. Okay. And what color was it? It's wood rose, which is the pink color. Pink. Okay. Wow. Pretty, pretty car. What yeah. year is your Cadillac? The 67. Okay. So it was way toned down. It still had a hint of a fin. Just a hint. It's still super long. Yeah, still super long. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. Ruby, right? Ruby. Yeah. Ruby, Ruby, Ruby. Okay, so this is the first, this is the car that launches the museum. How do you go from being a Pepsi service guy to starting a car museum? <laughs> so an- initially, when I got the car, um, you know, because of what my wife does for a living, she was able to create a brand for me for the car. Uh, that car's got its own Facebook page. I got a, its its own website. It's pop59.com. Uh, I mean, I did. I, I took it to car shows. I did everything I possibly could with this car. And uh, taking a '59 Cadillac to a car show every weekend starts to get old. Um, it was just it was a lot of work. And so I, I I thought, what else could I do with this car? And so I, I was I was like, it took up my entire garage. So I was thinking of like somewhere else to park the car in a climate controlled environment and then having people come to me and then doing uh, opening that up for everyone else as well because i knew there were storage places mm-hmm. uh, but these storage places are are they're just they're cars that are just crammed in there right and the only people that go in there are the people that own the cars and then they're brought out and it's like that, that's a waste to me where i'm thinking of of having that same solution where i keep it somewhere but when i wanted to drive it i'd be able to drive it so th- this is just a concept that i had um, that I wanted to do many years down the, the road once I had maybe more than one car and more money and more time and, and everything like that. And, you know, in, in uh, 2016, I, I actually I wound up quitting Pepsi and uh, the whole corporate world. And, and that was the time I, was, I finally made the jump. I was like, I'm going to go work with my wife full time. She'd been running her company since 2007. I was ready. I was, I was ready to make the leap. And uh, within months... I had the opportunity to start Miles Through Time. A, a building uh, was there for me to just use and, and create this concept out of nothing. Uh, and so I, I went for it. Uh, it was literally January of 2017 is, is when I started. So tell us a little bit about the first building, because you've, you've, you're in another facility now, correct? Yes. So the first building uh, was in Tacoa in an old Ford dealership. And I had never even been to Tacoa before. Uh, and, and that's the thing is, I quit corporate, and 
my wife and I, we just wanted to live on a lake somewhere. And at the time we lived in Mooresville, North Carolina. That's where I lived when I got the car delivered to me. And we were on uh, Lake Norman just barely. Like if mm. the water went down, we were no longer <laughs> on the lake. So it was enough of a tease that it's like, I want to really experience it. And, and since at that point we could literally go anywhere, I just, I found a house that looked awesome that was on Lake Hartwell and uh, we moved there. And, and that, that was what kind of got us there. And then we were looking for a building for my wife's company that we could kind of use as an investment, multi-purpose type of thing. And so contacted this realtor to show us some buildings and it comes up in conversation that I've got this 59 Cadillac. And so because of that, the realtor wants to show me this old dealership. Well, I tell her that that's not what we're looking for. It's not my budget or anything like that. Well, turns out her dad is who owned the building, and he had a 53 Cadillac sitting in there. And he had some other cars sitting in there. So I'm like, well, just so you know, like, we're not buying it, but I'm down to go look at some cars if you got time. So I go in there, and uh, I look at the cars, and I immediately start envisioning, you know, my, what, (laughs) what I had in my, my mind. And so I blurted out to her. I'm like, this is what I would do. And this is what I would do. And she's like, well, let me have you meet my dad. He's the one that owns all this. And so I tell him same thing. This is what I would do theoretically, hypothetically, if, if, you know, I had access to this. And that was it. That was the first time I had been to Tacoa. First time I had met that realtor. First time I had met her dad. Uh, The next day I got a phone call from the realtor saying her dad was down there uh, knocking walls down and renovating the building that he liked what I had to say. Wow. And so then it was like, well, well. I mean, what do I do? I'm like, I'm not, I'm not ready for this. And uh, it was my wife that convinced me. It's like, hey, you're going to regret it if you don't at least try. So, so he was renovating the building for you? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Now, the, the, he wasn't giving me the building or no, doing no, no, it. He, he literally did nothing other than he owned the building already, was doing nothing with it. Uh, after the conversation with me, he decided to, to make the building usable and a- allowed me to go in there and, and create what became Miles Through Time. And for three years, if that museum was open, it was because I was there. And I spent that time figuring everything out. I mean, knowing what I liked to do, what I didn't like to do, what worked, what didn't work. um, And kind of spent that first three years kind of creating the museum. Even though I I literally started it with only the one car, it quickly grew into, I think we maxed out at like 30 cars. We just could not fit any more in there. And then in... 2019 um, because the museum was only open April through October Wednesday through Saturday that that was literally all that the the time I could uh, put into it Um, the the plan was to close down in in uh, October of 2019 and uh, a new opportunity presented itself and moving it to the old Clarksville mill inside of a flea market and uh, you know that would make it so that not I wouldn't have to be there on a daily basis the museum would be larger it'd be open all year long uh, and it sounded like a good thing, so made the jump. And uh, as of 2020, you know, that we, we literally created the museum over again from scratch. The only thing that really stayed was the the brand. That that is also when I transitioned from what Miles Through Time was to the the, the current 50C3 nonprofit that it is now. Now, when you were in this this dealership that the gentleman had started renovating, and you were there three days a week, what were you doing the rest of the time? Uh, still trying to help my wife with her company. Okay. I mean, I literally, that's, that, that is, you know, what pays our bills. So but you I, didn't, you didn't, you didn't buy the company or you didn't buy it, not the company. You didn't buy the dealership that this gentleman had. No, no. And I made that very clear from the beginning. Like, I didn't have the resources. So to, did to your buy wife it. move her office there? 
Because I would think a dealership would have office space and stuff. Oh, no. The initial plan of everything that we were intending to do went out the window. We, we didn't do any of that. <laughs> That's never happened to us. No, not ever. No, no, we never did get a building. Um, it, all the focus went into trying to f- then figure out how to even create a museum. Because it's one thing to come up with some theoretical concept uh, that I have no idea how to do to actually then really trying to do it. Um, oh, yeah. So did you have did you have any financial support from this museum or people just making donations to come see the cars or you know were people donating the cars how were you getting the cars for the original museum so I, I offered consignment as a way to get cars um, and and I mean I sold a few cars but then to get the the dealer's license and the bond and all that that pretty much ate up all my profits paying the electricity bill like I made no money from any of that um, the admission to the museum was $5. And even like from day one, it was $5. And I can tell you it was not worth $5. But it made it so that uh, if somebody was going in, like they were, it was, it was a different demographic. They, 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 they wanted to be there to, to see cars. And I mean, even from the very beginning, it, was, it wasn't difficult to get cars. Like the guy that installed my internet, I wound up getting his 27 uh, Model T, you know, on, wow. on display, just just from meeting them there. I mean, it just, it snowballed. People would come over and be like, hey, what's going on here? And so I'd tell them, and they'd either say, hey, yeah, you can park my car in there, or wanted me to sell their car. And, and the consignment aspect of it, although it wasn't my favorite, it did it did serve a purpose and in, in help in having oh, yeah. cars on display. It just made it confusing as to what it actually was, you know? Correct, yeah. I, yeah. I, I didn't like being thought of as a dealership mm-hmm. and i didn't think of it as a dealership but selling cars made it a dealership um, and that that's one of the reasons why i don't do it anymore especially since it was all consignment yeah you know so i only know what they tell me yeah. mm-hmm. and it's my reputation on the line not theirs and uh you know especially since i wound up uh moving from late Hart- from lake hartwell after a little while so you know, I moved down to Cumming, so that was an hour and 15-minute commute for me every day I came to the museum. And so, especially in the winter when we weren't open, I still had cars for sale. So if somebody wanted to see the car, I had to go all the way up there. And I didn't mark them up super high with all this range to mark them back down. I, mm. I made it where I wanted the turnover. I wanted the car for sale for as short amount of time as possible. Sure, yeah. Um, and so, you know, I'd tell them, hey, yeah, I'll show you the car just so you know. Like, that, that's it. Like, I, I can't go any lower. Oh, yeah, 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 sure. I get up there and they still hit me with like half. Yeah, $20,000 right. car, I'll give you 10. I'm like, I made it very clear before we even got up here, you know, 20 is the price. And I mean, then that happened over, over and over. And over. <laughs> it just, it, it, it was not anything I want to do. Now, if I was in a position and had more time to purchase cars and have mm-hmm. them completely inspected and, and stood behind them, you know, like this car is fantastic for sale, you know, maybe that would be different. That's still not what I want to do today, but that would have that would be a different dynamic for me. Sure. Um, but I mean, at this point, having cars on display is not not the issue. So, how many people were knocking on the door wanting to sell you their cars? That's constantly. I mean, I get I get emails and phone calls weekly. Even of, back then. Oh yeah, yeah. Back then, back then especially, people really wanted me to to buy the cars, and I and I, and I, I kind of regret a few of them because although I didn't have the money to buy some of the cars i would have if i would have um man some of the prices i could have got some of these cars for and the thing is is i've got this credit card this one specific credit card that sends me zero percent interest checks constantly for six months 
I could have used some of those a few times to like purchase the car for super cheap just because of the deal. Sure. And I just had never entered my mind. I had so much going on trying to just do everything because you got to remember, I was the salesman. I was the, the janitor, the front cashier person. I was the docent giving the tours. I mean, I, I was, I, it was a one-man show. I was doing everything, and it was a lot. Were you enjoying it? I was, um, until it just, it got, I started to not enjoy it when it, it I couldn't see the future anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't like doing anything if there's an expiration date to it. Um, and I was, I was getting bottlenecked. The guy that owned the building that we were in and myself, we just kept going farther and farther apart on the vision of what it was going to be. And ultimately, I was the only one doing anything anyways. So in my mind, my vision's the only one that mattered. Um, and I knew we couldn't get to, to be what it needed to be in that location. I mean, there, just, there was no way I could make it uh, what it needed to be. The building wasn't big enough. The location wasn't good enough. There was nothing... Nothing there that, that jumped out at me as being like, hey, this is going to be successful here. I figured out what we needed to do, but then I needed, I needed to move on from there. What was his participation over these three years? What, what, what was he doing at the shop? It's still his, still his building and everything. Yep. Uh, but he, what is he actually doing while you're doing all these other hustles? He had a few cars in mm-hmm. the building, uh, which then took up space from me being able to do other things, which was fine because it's still, we had cool cars in there. Um, and then there was a separate building in the back that he wound up, that was supposed to be my overflow storage for the museum. And then I had this vision of connecting the two buildings to give us a bigger footprint of a museum. But he, he wound up going rogue on me and, and doing a body shop and service center and all that kind of stuff back there, which I had nothing to do with. But it was there, and which then created even more confusion of like, is this a museum? Is it a, 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 a right. you know, service shop, um, or is it a dealership? Like, I, uh-huh. and it just, it just like he saw what, what I was doing with the museum, and it's like, well, I'm going to capitalize on this in the back here for myself back oh, here as well. Okay. Which, I mean, if I was him, it totally makes sense as well. But for me, it it, it did not help whatsoever. So you're, you're paying the bills for the building, or is he paying the bills for the building at this point? He owned it all. So he he, it he's all. a guy that just, he just owned all of this. So, okay. so there was no bill in that sense. He, he did all the renovations. So, I mean, it, it's his building to do whatever he wanted. Um, but for the money the museum was making and the, what I was um, profiting from, from consignment, mm-hmm. all that went to utility bills. Mm-hmm. I mean, I never did get paid. I mean, it, it was absolutely brutal. Right. I, I just kept... I just kept putting everything we had back into it, you know, signage and all the stuff that, that, you know, you go in and you want to see it and typically expect. I had to pay for all that. You know, and initially I, I came up with a lot out of my pocket to even create the brand of this thing. And then as the museum started to, to generate revenue, I tried to make it so it didn't come out of my direct pocket. Sure. But it, I mean, it pretty much took all of our funds. Right. By the, by the end of 2019, when I closed it down in that location, we literally had no money. I mean, I, 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 it came out of my pocket again when I, I recreated it as the, the nonprofit. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to take us to Clarksville now, just the beginning of Clarksville, and then we're going we're gonna to stop and regroup a little bit, and we want to have you back next week to tell us where we're at now at Miles Through Time. Sounds good. Sounds good. Okay, so you got no money. How many of us have 
been in that spot. <laughs> Recently. <laughs> you got no money. Yeah, he's building a house. Uh, so you've you got no money. And how do you find this place in Tacoa? Or in Clarksville, I'm sorry. How do you find this place, and how do you see that as your new vision? So a, a guy that came and embraced the concept of the museum right from the beginning in Tacoa uh, is a guy named Truett Phillips. Mm -hmm. He was never actually officially affiliated with the museum, just he brought in some cars. He helped me build an entire um, service center in, in, the, in the original museum that served as a backdrop for the entrance and everything. A super nice guy. Uh, he was on the same page as me from the get-go, and his son uh, somehow knew the guy that owned the flea market in Clarksville, and... You know, it came up that he had this unused extra space in, in the flea market and thought it would be a good option for us to, to move the museum into it. And so I, I took Truett and we, we went and talked to the guy that owned this place and um, he was on board, he was all set. I mean, it was a completely unused section. Uh, there was nothing going on back there. Actually built a wall to, to encase it and we put a door. So it was in his, in his business, that area that he rented, but it was all blocked off. So we had this entire space. It, we had to clear some of his, there was some random stuff in there, but like literally we were given a, a, a huge section of space that was probably, it was twice as large as what Tacoa was. Um, and it was, just, it was a blank slate. And uh, I mean, right from the beginning, um, you know, when I, when I created as the nonprofit, I made Truett an official part of it. So he's one of the executive directors. Um, and then it was his vision that we created a whole town. So the town itself is all built out of recycled and reclaimed materials. It was all rough cut wood that we got donated. It was all old windows that he had from old construction jobs. It was filled with stuff that he already had. I mean, we had sawdust piles that were three feet tall just ripping boards um, and, and and we built it's a it's got a general store a bank a barber shop a dry goods store and a jail um, and that that was the first part of the museum then we wound up building a replica of uh, the very first Phillips 66 filling station and we've got a diner in there and again all that stuff was um, we wound up getting some two by fours donated to us because uh, I was running out of time and it was a lot of work to cut all that wood so Getting the two by fours to help us frame the front facade of the town definitely helped, but uh, I mean that that was that was the start of it, and, and then and then we, I mean I think there was seven cars that came from the original location that came to the new museum, that in the new location, and, and we start. I mean it was all new cars from then on. Seven cars and a lot of uh, a lot of hard labor. Oh yeah, is what it sounds like. It was a lot of labor. And the thing is, is we had, uh, I put it out there and we got some volunteers to help us initially. And then it was COVID, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so all of our volunteers dwindled right. off into eventually it was just true and I out there trying to get it all done so that we could get it open even in the middle of all this stuff and mm. all that. Stuff. Other than that, there were no problems. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> other than that. Okay. We're going to return next week and we're going to start at the, at the facade of the town and, and take you through it bit by bit. Sean. Look forward to the, the next, uh, next part of all this. Thanks for having me. Yep. Right. Thanks, Sean. So as most of the folks know that listen to either the Bud's Garage show or the Bud's Garage Overdrive podcast, Bud spends a good part of his time loitering. Yeah, I, I found that out. You, you found know. that out. <laughs> People talk. <laughs> I get thrown out of all sorts of places mm -hmm. for, for loitering. But one of the places that doesn't toss me out is Concept One Pulley Systems. 
So I'm in there last week, and I'm talking with Randy. He's one of the, the brothers. You have Randy and Kevin Redd, and their dad is there. And they've got the CNC machines going and all this. And I, I walk into the office, and Randy's got a CAD drawing up on his two computers. He's got two big computers, and he's got the screens up there. And I, you know, I was interested. It's all pretty colors and stuff, and it's mechanical. And oh, yeah. So I said, what's that, Randy? He said, that's an LT4 Corvette engine. So he had the CAD file from General Motors, which they work with GM, so they, you know they they have access to that kind of stuff, or you, you get it magically somehow. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But he had this CAD drawing on there, and I said, well, what, "What are you doing with it? Uh, I mean, what what are you trying to look at or figure out?" He says, "Well, we're making a pulley system for this engine," and uh, he showed me some some particular bosses that were made into the manifolds and the water pump area of the engine. He says, what I've got to do is I've got to figure out a way to, to work around that. I've, got to, I've either got to make a component to change how that's configured, or I've got to make, you know, I, I've got to somehow come up with a different manifold that we could manufacture or have manufactured that would, would do the job. But that's how in-depth these guys are. Wow. You know, you and me are, are putting something together on the garage floor, Right. With washers and bolts, and trying to, you know, oh. trying to figure out how well, how can I make this belt fit over to here and, mm-hmm. and all that. And they're doing it all on the computer, and when they get done, and they can program that stuff into their CNC machines, run run one, and you know, put it on an engine, see if it works. Okay. And but that's that's the kind of background knowledge you need, and the type of access that you need in order to build something as unique and as, as proper and properly fitting as the systems they make at Concept One Pulley Systems. Chevrolet and Ford stuff, mm-hmm. um, they're working on the LT4 and the Godzilla engine right now, the pushrod engine, the Ford engine, to make pulley systems for them. And, they, and they've got more coming down the line. He says he just doesn't have enough hours in the day sometimes to get it all done. Well, it goes to show how many different powertrain options came on those cars. Right. And how they can be improved upon. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, they, they know what they're doing. And when they produce it, it'll be right for you and it'll fit. It'll be fit. It'll be finished properly. And, uh, you know, it'll improve your hot rotting experience oh yeah and isn't that great for us guys that are out there in the garage trying to install these parts and it's like hey it actually fit like it was supposed to like it's supposed to wow don't need to add any washers or a double layer of goop to (laughs) seal it or any of that kind of stuff (laughs) Uh, precision work uh, precision minded people and they do a great job and produce a great product check them out at concept1c1.com okay Let's let's segue into this electric John Deere tractor, okay? Okay. This is a this is a story about a a, a fellow that has farms over ten thousand acres of corn in the Midwest. His property is spread over three counties. His operation is a partnership farm with John Deere. Uh, that they they use uh you know, uh, big combines. His diesel combines cost over nine hundred grand each and are traded every three years. And then he's got another ten tractors. All right. So John Deere. T- calls him up and says, we want you to go all electric soon. And here's a couple questions he had, and it's questions we should be asking. Right. right? He's, he's saying, okay, I have, I, have, I have some questions. How do I charge these combines when they're three counties away from the shop in the middle of a cornfield and in the middle of nowhere? How do I run them 24 hours a day, which he does, for 10 to 12 days straight when the harvest is ready to go? The weather is coming. How do I get a 50,000-pound combine that takes the width of an entire road back to the shop 
20 miles away when the battery goes dead. Yes, these are all very good. Yeah, so the corn is ready to harvest, all right? Yeah. Corn is ready to harvest. they got to get it at a specific time, in a specific time frame, because of the moisture content and stuff, so they can't dilly-dally around. Mm-hmm. So he's talking to John Deere about all this, and they get the other end of the phone, gets quiet. I mean, cricket quiet. Uh-huh. And the answer is, we're working on that. Oh, yeah. We're working well, on we're that. We're working on that. Yeah, you right. think so? You're working on it? Well, do you know, and in, in, in that market, there are uh, people who have businesses where they follow the harvest. Absolutely. They don't have farms, but they have combines, and they have crews, and they go from farm to farm to help people get the harvest out on time. Well, how would you, in the world, you'd have to have another vehicle that's strictly a charging vehicle to be able to charge these. Why is John Deere or anybody else that's building big stuff like this not thinking locomotives? Why are they not thinking a diesel engine that runs at constant speed, diesel electric, natural gas electric, whatever? Yeah. Why are they not thinking that way? I, it, it, it just beats the heck out of me, but I don't get it. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's a, it was a good read, and, uh, you know, it's, it's an industry that's, that's being held hostage here. Yeah. And so are we. So are wait, we. Wait till you go to buy the, the corn and the stuff that, you know, mm-hmm. comes from this harvest. Oh, right. Or, right. or the products made from corn. Exactly. Or any of the other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a, a phone question that came in from Chuck. He called me at... Um, Earlier in the week, he's got a little black Corvette, a C5 Corvette. Okay. You want to know how often they change the plugs and wires on a, on a Corvette or any of these modern cars now. You kind of forget that they have plugs and wires because you don't have to open the hood that much anymore. Right. Uh, his has got 86,000 miles on it. He, he didn't know the full service history prior to him buying the car. So I recommended that, you know, not knowing the history of it, it's got 86,000 miles. Mm-hmm. Change the plugs, but before you do it, get the injectors clean. Now, okay. that, that in itself will clean the plugs, but I still recommend replacing them. But in cleaning and getting the injectors clean first, you clean the uh, combustion chambers. Mm-hmm. So you may as well com- clean the combustion chambers, let the car cool down. The technician would do that, obviously. And then, then change the plugs and the wires, and it's not a big deal on a Corvette. It's not like our old cars where we had to run the wires all over the place because you've got coil packs. You've got a, a wire that's you know 10 inches long and goes from the coil pack to the... Uh, what year models would, would the C5 cover? Uh, C5 would go up to uh, 2006, I think. Oh, okay, all right. I, I think was... 2007 was the first C, C6. Okay. That don't don't quote me on stuff. that. I yeah. just think so. But C5 was game changer mm-hmm. when they came out with that from the C4. We actually had a customer with one of those that had 350,000 miles. Oh, yeah. And it was still original engine and transmission. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's Chevrolet stuff. Yeah. You know? Bulletproof. Yeah, right. Yeah, you take care of him. If you take and he's care of taking him, care right. of his. One thing he did ask me about, though, I said, you know, as long as getting the plugs and stuff checked mm-hmm. and, and changed, you know, and I, I recommended, you know, you take the Oakwood tire. And uh, I said, you know, when you get that stuff done, have him look at the belts. Oh, the serpentine yeah. belt. Because he didn't know the history of that either. And he asked, me if, he asked me if that was the belt that affected timing. No, it is not. Mm-hmm. Serpentine belt drives your accessories. Some cars have what's called a timing belt, which affects your valve timing, and those typically need to be changed around fifty or 60,000 miles. Corvette doesn't have that no. kind of setup. It's got a gear setup. But uh, anyway, they just thought that was a... Uh, oh, that's good. You know, 
he just reached out and yeah those are things off the top of my head so our car care tip of the week brought to you by oakwood tire and Morris. get that belt checked and oh, replaced absolutely. if needed uh, a lot of times when when the technician will check it mm-hmm. um they will they will physically take the the belt loose from the car or at least from the tensioner and it gives them a chance to spin the tensioner and make sure the bearing isn't bad in the tensioner right because they go bad and when they go bad and it can get ugly oh yeah so and you don't want that belt to break because it drives everything one belt for the most part drives everything sure best to do it while you're having the car service instead of on the side of the road uh absolutely so check that out 3120 atlanta highway exit 16 uh, oakwood tire and more and uh see if they can help you out with that and we thank we thank chuck for the call because uh you know we know folks are listening oh yeah and uh you know we're here to answer the questions and how can folks ask us other questions bill and get some answers well they can text us 24 7 bud at 770-535-2911 we will get to your answer <laughs> as soon as we possibly can that's 24 hours a day seven days a week back to you bud ah, i love it i just love it <laughs> okay tim what if you could take your existing hot rod mm-hmm. and make it so you could literally pipe the exhaust into your passenger compartment without harming you or your passengers? What? What? That's crazy talk, bud. Well, let me tell you about this gentleman that I've just learned about, Mike Copeland of Arrington Engineering. He mm-hmm. used to be a GM employee for 25 years, uh, an engineer, and... Uh, he has accomplished that feat working with a team of engineers on his vintage Chevy pickup truck. He and his team have been working on this for a couple of decades, okay? So it was before all this EV stuff and everything started. Yeah. Uh, they now have a 6.2 LSA supercharged Chevy engine in his hot rod Chevy truck running 9 pounds of boost on an 11 and 1 compression ratio direct injection engine. That's a lot of... That's... Yeah. A lot of technical stuff uh-huh. but what it does is it produces 500 horsepower and at 25 pounds of boost now this is an engine that chevrolet makes you know every day right it would make close to 750 horsepower it exceeds the epa reg- regulations beyond what is called for in 2035 wow no catalytic converters no carbon and no gasoline. How do they do it, bud? With hydrogen. Gaseous states, hydrogen. Same stuff that powers all of Amazon's and, Wal- and Walmart's indoor focli- uh, forklifts. Not forklifts. Forklifts. Mm-hmm. Now, the forklifts use fuel cells, okay? They're not running combustion engines on the, on the hydrogen. They're using a fuel cell, and then it's an electric forklift. Okay. Okay. Not like uh, it's it's not like the old propane lift she used right. to you know snort at the warehouse. Uh, but anyway, this is an amazing thing to see if you go to Total Seal Piston Rings website. It's like a thirty-minute video mm-hmm. that explains all about this truck, how they converted it to hydrogen, uh, all the all the goofiness that went with it 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 wasn't that hard to do but getting in all the stuff together it's not that hard to do when you got the right team when you got the right team and he had worked with bosch Bosch, for a long time as a gm employee and and they helped a lot with this but they're going to offer this in the future as a kit where you can buy the 
the tank, the engine. Uh, he had a, a six-speed transmission, and I don't think it would make any difference if he had an automatic. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you can buy this, this whole setup as a crate powertrain mm -hmm. and put it in your hot rod. Right. So why would we not be able to take, you know, our newer cars that are direct injection, um, you know, put a hydrogen tank in them sure. and run it? Because when you, when you understand what happens to hydrogen and you understand after the video, you know, what it, it's not the Hindenburg. If you puncture the fuel tank of this vehicle, and remember, we're running around with plastic gas tanks in our cars. Oh, yeah. If, right. you, if you punctured this thing, you would really, really, really have to work at it. It's a stainless steel, not stainless steel, it's an aluminum tank, mm -hmm. um, much like a welding tank, and then it's covered with carbon fiber. Okay. So it's about impossible to puncture. But if you did, what happens to the hydrogen? Poof, it goes Poof, up into it the atmosphere. Goes into the air. That's where it came from. Wow. Got nothing but a little moisture coming out of the tailpipes. It sounds right. It, you know. All we need is an infrastructure yeah. of some sorts. Well, why, why, why can't we take the hydrogen to the the gas stations and put it in big tanks? Exactly. Um, you know, put the horse before the cart on the infrastructure, and we could run all of our existing vehicles on hydrogen. Well, and if Mike Copeland has figured this out, wonder why the federal government hadn't. Oh. Oh, wow. What are you saying? You're not allowed to say that. Next week, we're going to talk about a 12-rotor. So last week, I had your recommended glass guy come and put the rear window in the Mustang Fastback I've been working on for okay. forever, forever and ever, it seems. Uh, the 73, where the glass is almost laying down flat, mm -hmm. but it's mounted in rubber, so you got to have the, you got to put it in with a with a rope. Right. And he had the special gizmo. I mean, you know, 15 minutes he had it in. Yeah. And everything was cooking, and I had some some trim to put back on the window that I had gotten from year one, and it's good trim. But Bud had used brand new clips, and I did not understand the concept of trim clips. Uh, and they need to fit looser than I had them on the car, mm -hmm. and uh, you have to you have to tweak them a little bit when you put right. them on. So that's what's called tuition when you're building a car. You you pay tuition one way or another. So I went to put the trim on, and I messed up the trim. Mm -hmm. So I called uh, year one. And I told them what I'd done. And I you know after they got done calling me a big dummy for not stretching the clips <laughs> out. But <laughs> after we got through that. Uh, I said, well, can you get me a couple more pieces of trim? He says, man, we're out of it. He says, we got some coming, but it's not here right this minute. But they found another supplier for me, and they got on the horn, and they said, here's somebody that does have it in stock because we know you're trying to get the car finished, as any of us nuts are that are building the car. When you get right. to this point, you're trying to get it done. And so many times I put that trim on and did the little slap right. and broke the glass. And that was my biggest concern, was breaking mm -hmm. the glass, but instead I, I messed up the trim. Right. That trim is very fragile. Well, and you know what I found out? And, and like I say, all of this is a lesson learned, is every place there's a clip, they recommend that you take a piece of masking tape and let, remind yourself where the clip is mm -hmm. so you're not trying to push it on, to, or you're not hammering it down where there isn't a clip. Where there isn't a clip, And right. it'll bend the other part of the, mm -hmm. the trim. So, you know, that's the kind of things you learn as you go. But, uh, you know, the folks at the counter at year one 
could probably have told me that if I had called him and asked him, how do you put this trim on? Right, but but you don't know no, what you don't, you don't know. don't know what you don't know. Yeah, you don't even know what to ask. And, and nobody's nobody's judgmental. They just say, hey, you know, Yeah. well, let's see if we can get you some more stuff, and next time don't be such a big dummy. Use a smaller hammer. Right, we all run into that from oh, time to time. Absolutely. And uh, folks at Year One will help you out. Check them out at yearone.com. Tim, it's time for some thank yous. Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, no, no, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> uh, we want to thank our producer um, and DJ trivia extraordinaire, mm-hmm. Bill Wilson. Bill, while we got you nationally on the air here, tell us a little bit about your DJ gig. Well, thank you, Bud. I am the uh, game coordinator for DJ Trivia. We are nationwide, wherever you're listening. We very well may have an affiliate near you. DJTrivia.com is where you find out our times and locations. And if you're in the North Georgia area, you will get me as a host Monday through uh, Thursday nights in various locations in the area. Check it out, DJTrivia.com. And we are so lucky to have him here on the show and on the podcast with us because the stuff he comes up with is just out of this world. Bill Wilson, the host with the most. The host with the most. We want to thank uh, Jacobs Media for the production studios that we uh, do the program out of and, uh, uh, you know, the the help they give us and the quality of sound they give us. Of course, Concept One Pulley Systems, Lanier Technical College, and Year One classic muscle car restoration folks and a special thanks to uh sean mathis for sharing his story of uh, miles through time in the museum it's definitely worth your while if you're going through a uh, northern part of georgia to uh take an ex- you know take a little detour and go to clarksville and check out what he's got because he's got some amazing amazing things and uh he will be back next week for part two of that uh, okay conversation we had with him and it was it was good fun so until then if you want to check out our radio show on terrestrial radio you can go to access wdun and uh see that that site and click the links and all that and you can hear bud's garage the radio program or you can also listen to bud's garage and bud's garage overdrive on your favorite podcast site and uh yeah just remember to keep between the ditches shiny side up We will see you next week right here, Bud Scratch Overdrive. Have a great week. Yeah, thanks.